Greetings, fellow citizens of Disneyland. Bricky here. Thank you so much for joining me last week on a very special Disneyland for Designers that kind of came out of nowhere, but it also came from requests because plenty of people were saying, hey, is the podcast coming back? And I decided a new format that would work and I gave it a shot and I'm so appreciative of all your feedback. And to let you know why the feedback is so important to me, that if I look at the total amount of downloads that last week's Disneyland for Designers podcast got, thank you for listening and downloading, there's a zero missing. Like I would need to add a zero to the amount of downloads for it to look like one of my weekly series over on YouTube. And the reason why I bring this up is because I follow the metrics like every other business owner does. You look at where you can get the most bang for your buck because that's how you run a successful business. But what I've been reminded of is that the podcast caters to a small niche amount of people, but the value of the people that listen to this podcast is very, very great. They're the people like me that get it, that understand it, that love it for all the right reasons and are smart enough to critique it for the reasons that need to be critiqued or explained more. So therefore, your feedback is super important to let me know that it is worth doing the show that's missing in a zero at the end because it matters to the right folks. So if you enjoyed today's episode, please let me know or just drop me a line somewhere through the internet that said, I listened and I had a good time. Doesn't take a lot of feedback. I just need to know that people are enjoying it so I can continue to invest my time in this show. What do you say? Let's look back on the week that was Monday, June 6th to Sunday, June 12th as Bricky talks Disneyland. And that's me. Disneyland. Last Monday, June 6, images started to appear on social media and I believe a video of a guest taking their foot outside of Splash Mountain and dragging it through the water that is Splash Mountain. Now, there's two ways you could look at this. You could go, man, people post-pandemic just don't know how to behave in public anymore. They've been trapped. They've been at home. They don't know how to be true citizens of Disneyland. The world is going to hell in a handbasket, and we're seeing this happening at the gates of Disneyland. Or you could look at it this way. People did insane stuff in Disneyland before everybody had a miniature TV studio in their front pocket purse or park bag. Everything is documented now. Imagine the clips that we would have if everybody in the 70s, in the 80s, the wildest times were filming and documenting every move they made. There's an interesting thing that I like to think about about the 70s. The 70s, in my mind, will always be the moment where we had the most amount of technology with the least amount of rules. In the 80s, more technology would advance, but so would the rules. And in the 90s, technology would move a bit faster, but so would the rules. And in the new millennium, the technology would go insane but so would the rules. And in 2010s, whatever this decade we just went through, the technology would move pretty fast, but the rules would move twice as fast. The rules are now going faster than the technology, but there used to be a moment where the technology was going faster than the rules. That precious moment was the 70s. So before you roll your eyes and go, oh man, people today just don't know how to behave in the park. And I'm one of those people. On my last trip on Thursday, I saw two grown men laying on the floor or laying on the ground, laying on the sidewalk, laying in the streets of Disneyland. Like one of the specific reasons why I go to Disneyland is to escape. I live in Long Beach. I live in Southern California. 
throw a rock and you're going to see homelessness that is wildly depressing and to a point where you kind of for survival learn to keep a blind eye to it because it's just too much to think about. However, when I go to Disneyland, seeing somebody laying in front of the photo supply area when you get off of Splash Mountain or laying on the bridge that goes over to Pirates, it makes it look like there's homelessness happening in my Disneyland. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, homelessness isn't something that's happening. It clearly is. But for four hours a week, six hours a week, when I go under the tunnel on the right, I'd like to just not have to see it think about it. So seeing people laying on the ground is shocking and jarring and it makes me go, man, people just don't know how to behave inside of the park anymore. But I'm sure if you and I could somehow go back to the 70s and see all the wild and insane stuff that was happening, we'd be either jealous that it wasn't documented on a camera for us to see, or we might even be happy that it just will forever live as legend for those that ripped the park in the 70s. The time when there was the most amount of technology, but the least amount of rules. Now, as of the date of recording this, it was just announced the dates that we'll have Oogie Boogie's Bash return into DCA. I enjoyed Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party that happened over in Disneyland, but I think this is one of those moments where DCA really shines. I think that Oogie Boogie is the best After Dark event, hands down, that I've ever attended. And if you're listening from out of town and you can only go to DCA one day out of the calendar year, I would suggest making it an Oogie Boogie night. There is a resort-wide sound, or not resort-wide, there is a park-wide soundtrack that plays so everywhere you're at in dca you're listening to the same soundtrack the efficiency of the treat trails is disney managing guests at its absolute best the group photo sessions with the characters where it's not one-on-one and everybody just kind of gets a quick turn to take a photo with one of the villains is so efficient dare i say a thousand times more efficient than the star wars night Oogie Boogie is the best after hours event. I strongly recommend going. But Disney has realized, and wisely so, that to make more money, wouldn't it be nice if we had more days? So when they've just announced something crazy like 25, 30 dates for Oogie Boogie, I'm not exactly sure because it's literally the announcements happening while I'm recording, they were able to give DCA 30 more calendar days. We'll say the number's 30. So imagine DCA was stuck in time of, man, we've got to make money off of just 365 days, the way the Mayans invented the calendar. And then no, 30 more show up. And then five more for this event. And 10 more for this event. And eventually DCA is somehow living in a different multiverse where DCA has 410 days out of a 365-year calendar. What? How does it happen? What is this black magic? It's splitting the day in half. People can buy a ticket, go in, and then they're politely asked to leave around 6 or 7 o'clock. And then a second batch of people comes in for the quote-unquote after-hours event that happens during normal, normal, regular hours. 
It's not really after hours at all. It happens during normal hours. It's just after the hours that you paid for with your magic key or your standard theme park day ticket. Pretty genius, really, if you think about it. A little rude to people that have already come in from out of town, that already had a date plan in September or October, and now they realize they either have to buy two tickets to celebrate that day or leave early at six o'clock. And most people go to the parks ready to rip from dawn till midnight to get the most out of it. But this is how you make more. This is how you grow your business. And in doing so, sometimes you're going to offer people really amazing events like Oogie Boogie. And then sometimes you're going to just kind of do what I'm going to refer to as a good old fashioned Disney cash grab. For example, Disneyland After Dark grad night reunion event that's not sold out. And that is a big indication that I think a lot of people are starting to learn that not all of these quote unquote after hour events during normal hour events are worth the extra amount of money. When we look at this event, it's basically just turning DCA into a disco or a club. You've got different DJs in different lands playing different playlists of music. That's not bad. I mean, I like walking through the park and kind of getting a little sachet in my hips because they're playing one of my favorite songs during food and wine. They're playing a Haim song that I really enjoy. And I found myself just getting a little upbeat as I was cruising through the Paradise Pixar Pier area. I was like, yeah, good pop music inside of Disneyland. Mm-mm-mm. It's like peanut butter and more peanut butter. So there is a value to this being able to cruise around a less crowded DCA, shorter wait times, little music to get that little bump in your step. Maybe if you need a bump and grind, you got the time, you can make it happen. But I do wonder, what is the real offering? Is it what I just explained? A quieter park? Well, actually, a louder park, but quieter on the amount of people that are there? Is it the intimate experience? Because the theme this time just kind of feels thrown together. What I think would have made an amazing grad night reunion event is if they invited the graduates of 2020 and 2021 out to the park. Because those are the graduates that really got robbed of this moment. But neither here nor there, I feel like the theming on this one is pretty light. Like It's as stretched as thin as I've seen an After Dark event happen. Now that I think about it, it's called After Dark event. So technically... It does happen when the sun goes down. So me calling it an after hours event is a little bit of an unfair criticism or critique, but you get what I'm going for. But I think the theme on this one is pretty diluted and pretty stretched then. So my advice would be this because every party you go to is about having your head in the right space, right? That's why so many people get let down on new years because there's this fantasy I'm going to be in the perfect dress. I'm going to be standing in the perfect place. And at midnight, my prince is going to kiss me. And I'm going to have the most amazing night ever. New Year's is just set up for failure because you're putting so much emphasis on the right place at the right time. 
And life doesn't work that way. The best nights that you'll remember of your youth are the random ones. A random group of friends that bumped into another random group of friends. You went someplace spur of the moment. You ended up someplace when you woke up that morning, you never knew you'd end up there. You never knew that at midnight you'd be around this group of people in this environment having the time of your life. You didn't know that at 8 a.m., you didn't know it at noon, and you didn't know it at 6. It just happened, and it's magic. That's how I think life works best. And I also think that when we put a lot of expectations into specific trips to the park, like Star Wars night, we're allowed to be let down because we think somehow it's going to be extra special and extra magical. So if you're looking for a really fun random night with you and your partner and a couple of best buds, grad night might be sick, but I would go there chasing a quieter, faster, easier to navigate park with some good music because I think that will make for a way more successful trip than going there saying it's going to be an amazing grad night reunion because one, I don't even understand that theme. And two, the offerings associated with it are just not a lot. So if you go there chasing out everything specifically that is being offered, you'll probably walk away feeling disappointed. But if you go there expecting a more intimate VIP DCA, then you might just have the time of your life. On Wednesday, June 8th, guests could start to meet Miss Marvel at a meet and greet in Avengers Campus at DCA. And I think that this is where DCA has really, really shined. And I, I think outperformed what many people thought this land would become. They've been so due diligent on making sure whatever's happening over on Disney Plus or whatever's happening at the theater is instantly reflective inside of Avengers Campus. And I love that. It's a type of synergy and marketing that we haven't seen before. And it's really, really clever. It makes Avengers Campus feel very much alive. And that at any time, any hero, even as bizarre as Zombie Cap America, can cruise in and make that area feel more real and fleshed out. But at the same time, it adds a sense of gravity to what we're seeing on the small screen with Disney+. And hey, I know. Some of us have pretty big screens at home right now, but you don't have one as big as Thor, Love and Thunder, only available at theaters, which I'm going to go see with some Club 1313 members in the old IMAX. So it's exciting that you can go see Thor, Love and Thunder, and probably that same night, we're all going to head back over to DCA and hope to see Thor and maybe his girlfriend making a special appearance in the land. That is one of the ways that I don't think many of us thought Avengers Campus was going to go. And I really encourage Disney to stay true to this because they've done things before like Indiana Jones and the Desert Thief, or as I like to refer to him, the Dessert Thief, where there was a Desert Thief, or as I will refer to them as the Dessert Thief because never let the truth get in the way of a good story. 
the dessert thief would roll into Adventureland, stealing churros, stealing Dole Whips, and Indy had to crack them out of his hand with the whip. It happened up on the balconies, on the the storefronts there that are across the street from Jungle Cruise. So, you know, above the Adventureland Bazaar, you could see this show take place. But after a while, it stopped happening. And I really hope that that doesn't become the case with Avengers Campus because Avengers Hallway, as I like to refer to it, it's pretty tight. It's pretty intimate. And with just web slingers, it's always flooded out. And then Guardians, it feels a little disjointed because it's kind of technically feels like it's outside the walls of Avengers Campus. There's not a lot going on, but people want to be in there because it's new and because people have strong emotional ties to the overall franchise of the MCU. So bringing the different characters in is actually a very fast, quick, easy win to bring life, to make trips more memorable, and to kind of give guests a surprise because there's no posted times anywhere. You just look up and you're like, oh, there's Moon Knight standing next to the Quinjet or, oh, there's Zombie Cap slinking around on the balcony, which so far that's my favorite specialty character I've seen in there. But also in the case of Miss Marvel or Shang-Chi, it's been able to add diversity to the Avengers campus, which I think is really strong that they're taking the programming, they're going in different directions, and then that's reflected inside of the park. Whereas America Chavez, you're just like, yo, is that a superhero or just a regular girl here enjoying the park? The answer is both. But she is a superhero, and that's why it makes it special that we see this young girl here enjoying the park. So I really, really enjoy it. I think it's probably the part of the land that they've gotten best. And that's why it's sad when you see, not sad, but a little disappointing when you see that cast members from Obi-Wan Kenobi are visiting Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, but just plain closed in a small, intimate VIP photo opportunity. It'd be great if instead of just, you know, them shutting off a little part of the land or kind of pushing everybody out of the way, you would actually get to see the real third sister cruising through there or someone portraying the third sister. Because Moses Ingram was inside of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, but just for a marketing photo op, which I guess looks good on social media, but it doesn't really enrich the guest experience. Whereas if they would go even harder on letting the timeline go inside of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, and you could see the third sister cruise around, that would be awesome. Because seeing Boba Fett and Fennec Shan cruise around, they just do a lap around the marketplace. If you want to know where the characters come out, 90% of the characters come out in Galaxy's Edge. Do you know where the land speeder garage is? Where you can see the land speeder and there's a garage and there's a beautiful stage that's up above that that never gets used. That stage was designed to do a thematic stunt show that as far as I know only happened on the media premiere night of Galaxy's Edge and hasn't happened since. Huge, huge missed opportunity. And the reason why that building is there, there's the long performance area with normally there's like a Coke or Sprite droid down on the far end. There's the lower area where 
characters can walk up and they're protected by the rail so they can kind of stand there and everybody can get a photo or they can go up on the upper deck cruise back and forth there's even a nice little balcony on the rock work out front of that that's adjacent to it but on the far end there's a cylinder shaped building and that cylinder shaped building is if you lurk out there that's where the casts are going to come out that's where you're going to see stormtroopers rip out you're going to see ray come out of there vi miranda and now boba fett and fennec shan that's where if you want to get that tmz shot you wait right there and the whole reason why that structure is there is on the other side of that is the disneyland railroad but beneath the disneyland railroad and adjacent to that building you can see a strong concrete wall that pops out of the brush is a hidden warehouse and that hidden warehouse is where the phantasmic water parade lives during daylight hours and i'm pretty certain that if you go through that building you can navigate into that warehouse. So that building is the conduit to get over to the rivers of America. Now they replicated it inside of Batu East. It always takes me a minute to process that, but in Batu East over in Hollywood studios, that same building's there, but there's not a railroad on the other side of it. There's not Fantasmic on the other side of it. They really built star Wars galaxy's edge to do a lot of problem solving inside of Disneyland because it was adjacent to Disneyland way, the edge of the park. And they had a little crazy shape of land that they had to make every little bit work to, to squeeze it into our very intimate park. And then it could be looser with those plans out East. But that is where the characters come and go from. If you want to see them. So imagine getting to see the third sister cruise through there, a new character that you're coming to enjoy over on Disney Plus. To me, that just goes further. That means more to more people than just seeing the actress doing a photo op over on the different websites and leaking out to the different blogs. And Darth Vader's returning to Tomorrowland inside of Launch Bay for a limited time. Now, the photo ops have been there for certain credit card holders. I believe it was like a Visa credit card holder. I don't know. But once again, if we'd let this silly timeline go and we could see Darth Vader, not inside of a small indoor set, but outdoors with dramatic lighting around him or the grain, the textures, the tooth of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, what a more memorable photo opportunity that would be star Wars galaxy's edge is a beautiful canvas. It is a beautiful stage that's waiting to tell so many amazing star Wars stories. It's a canvas that is just ready to be painted with so many awesome memories of living your own star Wars adventure. And it's so underused compared to its smaller sibling across the Esperante. For the life of me, I'll never figure out the big investment on Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and the very, very light usage of it. I hope that it changes. Maybe they're more aggressive with Avengers Campus because they have to sell it harder because it's not as impressive. And maybe with Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, it's like the hot chick that knows that she doesn't have to try. I don't know. It's interesting, the difference between the two. 
But I can tell you this. If I was going to go meet Darth Vader tomorrow, I'd much rather go to the hub, hook a left, go through Frontierland till it ends, go underneath the tunnel, hear music that sounds like I'm going into Star Wars Disney Heaven, cruise through exotic shops, through a soundscape that feels real, and then see and hear Lord Vader surprise me as I come around a bend to see him waiting there for a possible photo op, or maybe he's not taking any photos today. Maybe he's just walking with two or four stormtroopers around him because he's trying to find someone that he suspects is on Batu. And maybe that someone is me. Maybe that someone is you. So probably my favorite thing that happened this week was the big crash of Spider-Man not functioning properly inside of Avengers Campus. And what I love about this isn't like, oh, Disney failed. They failed so hard. They can't get anything right. No, it's none of that. I love how perfectly this fail happened. This was a fail safe. Imagineering knew that if you're going to throw a robot, if you're going to slingshot a robot 50 feet in the sky, seven times, eight times a day, guess what? It's not always going to work right. And this week, we really got to see some of the safety protocols that were put together to make this work. Now, I, I broke this down on my Friday update video, and I know a lot of you say, hey, I'm a podcaster. I'm not a YouTube person. But man, if you ever have a chance every Friday me and my friend Coco and Gary, we work really, really hard on this video that we put up called Update, where you get to see everything new that happened in the Disneyland Resort that week. We keep it short, to the point, really great footage, fun editing, and there's humor in there. It just, if you can't make it out to the park and you just wanna see what's happening, I promise you, I, I work hard with my team to make it the best 20 minutes that you'll find on YouTube every Friday as far as Disney goes. I mean, there's people that do stuff better than me, but as far as like taking a lap with your bud, it's pretty damn good. So I broke this down a little bit, but I've been mad at myself every since because I was doing it quick to make our deadline. We try to drop at four o'clock every Friday. And I, and I noticed that I missed a couple of pieces. So now after watching this footage several times and kind of talking it out, I've come to even think about it deeper on what we really saw on when Spider-Man hit that wall. It was such a great reveal. So first things first, I noticed that the Spider-Man was stiff as a board and typically there's very human motions that the animatronic stuntronic takes place. And also the rappel line never disengaged. So this Spider-Man was just on a rope the whole time. And so as I said in my video on Friday, you can tell that once the rope re lets go, it, it the rope, the rappel line sort of slingshots the Spider-Man. And this one didn't let go, and there was never any life form there. And so what I've come to understand is that probably the Stuntronic didn't fire up properly. You know, sometimes when you restart your computer, 
like the little bar goes from the left over to the right. And then it just goes, you know what? This one doesn't feel good. I'm just going to restart from the restart. Probably something like that happened. And a safety protocol didn't green light. It didn't illuminate at all. And so therefore the rappel line was never released. They're not going to just shoot a lifeless stunt tronic off into the distance. If it doesn't hit a certain amount of positive data over to the brain of this operation, that line's not coming off. That's the first thing that really impressed me. That the Stuntronic is smart enough to not disengage from its safety rope or its safety harness. That's super impressive. But the second thing that impressed me is the building that it hit that I had always assumed was like, you know, aluminum panels in that factory shape. Because the idea is this is old man Stark had a, a factory producing automobiles. They're not using it. So the Avengers move in and set up shop. Tony gives them a nice lease agreement, but still makes some money. Cause I mean, it's Tony Stark. He's not doing everything for free, but what we've come to understand. And as I looked at the footage more and it somehow clicked when I was watching it on the live premiere, where I hang out with everybody when the videos go live, because it's fun to see people watch the videos for the first time. It's also incredible feedback on what parts resonate with people and what parts don't because I'm just always trying to get better and better at my craft. And that's why I got so mad at myself because I looked at it with a set of clear eyes where I was looking at it, not talking, not editing. I was just looking at it as a spectator and I go, oh my Walt. That's not an aluminum panel. That's an accordion panel. That panel, that breakaway pad, as I called in the video, it is designed to take the impact of a misfired Spider-Man. And when he hits that, those panels compress like an accordion. So the top panel, he hits really hard, but then that creates a level of compression till he hits the second panel, which would be say 90% less impact. And then the third one, the compression goes down to say 75% impact. That accordion panel is designed to take the impact to soften the blow. Cause as I've been told, there's three of these Spider-Man. Each one costs over a million bucks. Two are always on property. And one is always in a state of maintenance because this is a crazy thing to do to take a million dollar robot, sling it in the air multiple times a day with hundreds or thousands of guests around its footprint. You have to be deadly accurate. You got to be more accurate than Luke closing his eyes and shooting into the anus of the death star. It's a panel wall. It's an accordion wall. It compressed. And then when you looked on the inside, you could tell that they were designed to collapse amongst themselves and that there was a pad on the inside of the wall, like, you know, like a sort of a, a drop cloth or a big, you know, I don't know. It just it looked like it was tethered to it. Like there was a sheet that the panels were pulling down to catch their million dollar investment of a flying Spider-Man. And the best part is this safety protocol 
so that their million dollar investment makes it home safe and so that all their guests, which is the worth more than a million dollars, like the irreplaceable, they make it home safe. All of this was done in a way that enhances the storytelling. If there was a big pad there, if there's a big rail there, it wouldn't make it nearly as exciting. But the fact that they created an urban environment that doubles as the way that the show was supposed to perform, but also the, uh-oh, things didn't go right. The fact that all of the safety for us and for Spidey was always there and it was hidden. It just took an accident for us to finally see the ultimate performance of this design. That is fascinating to me. That is why I love going to the park each and every week because I've walked through the Avengers hallway. I have critiqued it. I thought I knew everything about it. And then there hidden in plain sight is a way to keep it safe for everybody involved. The best safety design is one that never compromises the integrity of the core design. Friday Paradise Pier hotel guests finally are not a third class citizen because in the first class, we have the Grand California. If you stay at that hotel, you're paying a premium, but you've got your very own way to dip into DCA right there in Grizzly Flats, right into the Redwoods. The world is your oyster. Go left. If you want to head to Disneyland, go right. If you want to go deeper inside of DCA and then the Disneyland hotel steps from the monorail. All you got to do is quickly go through security, get on the monorail after you show your ticket or pass, and then boom, you're in Tomorrowland. But never, ever take the monorail into the park if it's your first time. You have to go through the flower bed. You have to see the train station. You have to go through the tunnel on the right. The poor, 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 fortunate souls of Paradise Pier Hotel the third class citizen leaving your hotel, walking over to a stoplight and going through another hotel. You got to go through two hotels to get to where you're going. And sometimes you can be told no DCA guests only. So then you go from your hotel, you walk through a movie theater parking lot, you go through security and then, yeah, I guess you could go on the monorail, but Hey, I've already been walking 20 minutes. What's another 20 minutes to get me to the front gate? Why did we stay on property? We're so far away from everything. What are our amenities? But now, people of the Pixar Pier Hotel. I'm sticking with that name. I'm going with that name. It's a moment of matter of time. D23, hey, guess what? Here's the worst secret ever. The Pixar Pier Hotel will be opening da 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 date. You now leave the hotel, you cross the street. So you do have to cross the street. But then when Grand Californian hotel guests are going left, you go right. 
you follow your own proprietary path that gets you out next to the Route 66 souvenirs. So you have the corn dog castle to your right. You're like, oh man, I just really need a corn dog. <laughs> Boom, corn dog. Or I really need some Route 66 souvenirs. I guess it's not called that anymore. That's what it was called before Route 66 came to town, but seaside souvenirs. I really need a pair of sunglasses. <laughs> sunglasses. Or I need to get over to World of Color. Where you go, it's none of my business. It's just my business that now you have your own proprietary path to pop into DCA. Is it a perfect solution? No, but it's a way better solution than what you were getting. And we're seeing a transformation happening at this hotel. And something interesting that happened this past week is construction crews showed up to the front facade. I go, whoa, here they go. They're going in because the canopy that leads into the hotel, that's getting rethemed. They also show that the sun wheels that are all along the bottom of the hotel, those are going to become the Pixar beach ball. They haven't said anything that's happening to the top of the hotel. I'm assuming they're holding that in their back pocket for the big name reveal, which come on, man. This is like such a weird media rollout. But I saw that there was crews out there, I think around Wednesday. Now I go to the park every Thursday to film my Friday video, film it on Friday. It gets edited all night and processed on Friday morning, and then it goes up on Friday. So it's fresh content. It's, it's as close as we can get to showing you exactly how the park's looking that week. But on Thursday, the crews were already gone. In fact, I saw the crews loading up their flatbed and heading out. And then it dawned on me, the beach balls that are getting put on the front of the hotel, they're the old suns. They literally took down all the suns. You can see the light fixture now. There's a metal frame with four spotlights that go vertical up. There's four spotlights that go down. So when you put a cap on top of that, it forces the light to illuminate whatever is in front of it. And then it, you know, it shines up the hotel because you got to light up your hotel. You also need to light up what's below it. So it just makes it look tall. It makes it look prestigious and worth the price. But I realized, like, oh, they're not actually putting like a 360 like spherical like globe or ball on the front of the hotel. They're taking the old suns, brought a crew in to rip them all down. Those are going to a paint shop somewhere where somebody's going to powder coat them and paint them like the Pixar balls. And then they'll show back up. And it's just funny because, I mean, I guess technically like a sun head on looks like a ball head on. So it's an efficient rollover. But for some reason in my mind, I just literally thought that they were going to put little globes that would be fully illuminated, like acrylic little beach balls down the front of it. Not just a flat metal thing that the light shimmies from behind of. So if this is correct, and I strongly feel that it is, fun fact, you can tell everybody, you see all those beach balls? At one moment, those were suns for the old sun wheel that used to be, we're now mickey's at and i make a deal with disney once they officially call the hotel the pixar pier hotel i will officially start calling the mickey fun wheel the pixar pal around but until then no deal no deal if you're not going to call things a proper name i'm not going to call things a proper name so there's a little fun fact that we'll all have because we saw the transformation happen but what i think will be best for everybody is currently the Paradise Pier Hotel ugh, 
has two restaurants in it. One which is just a little quick counter service place, but one is a sit down. Now you've probably never been to these restaurants unless you stayed at the hotel. And if you stayed at the hotel since the park reopened, you definitely didn't go to these restaurants because they haven't reopened. They're still offline. And this Friday on the YouTube channel, I've created a second video in a series called Forgotten Disneyland, where I walk around the entire resort showing you everything that hasn't reopened after the Thanos snap. But think about this. Once this hotel is themed after Pixar, and once you can go in there and see sculptures and artwork reflective of some of your favorite Pixar pals, you're probably more inclined to stop by there. And if they choose to take that restaurant, which I believe is the Pacific Wharf Diner, if they take that and turn that into an actual sit-down themed Pixar restaurant, suddenly Pixar Pier Hotel might have one of the best or most sought out places to eat in the downtown Disney resort area because people love Pixar and people love going to theme restaurants. And I think taking this building and converting it over into Pixar, it not only adds more of what people love to the resort, but it also adds a very nice footprint for what is to come with Disneyland Ford because it sits adjacent to the Simba parking lot, which as far as I can tell, is earmarked to become a lot more of DCA. So the next time you're walking through the Pixar Pier area and you see those big, huge wood doors that say Pixar Pier, or you come over to the area where there's the doors that funnel in, you know, that you got, it's the Pixar Promenade. One of those two spots, one day I think, are going to take you above or below Disneyland Way where you'll go into more Pixar, more DCA, and then finally, finally, the Pixar Prayer Hotel will fully have all of its glory submerged in theme park with an exit that's just right at the bottom of the building and into more theme park. But this is a step in the right direction of taking the Pixar Pier Hotel theming it around more of what guests love, including it more into the experience and giving those guests paying a high ticket price an on-property ticket price an on-property experience. Adventureland, the wonder world of nature's own realm. This past Thursday when I went to the park, I was able to see the Tarzan's treehouse removed for the first time. And it's a really interesting moment where something has been taken out of the park, an attraction space has been removed from the park, and I'm not totally mad about it. I will miss the views. It was nice to stand on the rope bridge and to film into New Orleans Square or down into Adventureland. And I do understand that it was sort of an important mental roadblock for not being able to see out of Adventureland. Because Adventureland is the Adventureland hallway. I mean, if I'm going to say that about Avengers Campus, Adventureland is really just a hallway. And so putting the treehouse at the end of the path kind of created a 
curtain, if you will. And what was behind the curtain? Adventure. You'd have to walk further, and then you would discover the rivers of America and New Orleans Square. But then coming from the opposite direction, the treehouse symbolized a giant sign of adventure land this way. And you knew once you got on the other side of that tree, you were going to be inside of Adventureland. But the problem is, is that tree made people stop. A half a second, five seconds, and some people, five minutes in their brain of which way am I going? There was a massive obstacle. People had to decide, am I trying to go down the hill to the rivers of America? No, I want to go to the Haunted Mansion, so I need to go up the bridge because that seems like that's going to get me towards the haunted mansion but i see the pirates building but how do i get there and just a lot of thoughts and a lot of people's minds would create congestion but now it's simple you have a clear view of all your options oh haunted mansion i want to go that way oh rivers of america i want to go that way there's the mark twain i want to go that way removing the sight obstruction now allows people to simply go up or down, left or right, not around the bend, not knowing what's there. It was fun to watch guests kind of cruising in both directions and figuring out how to easily navigate an area that had always been a massive pinch point. And I hope that this means that we're closer to the scrims coming down, getting the original tree back, the Swiss family tree back. Whatever design they do, I'm cool with. I just want the water back. I want the water that runs parallel with the sidewalk. I want to see all of that rock work. I want to hear that kinetic energy. I want to feel that part of the park again. So yeah, a quicker way to get to where you're going, I'm all for it. But give me back the emotion. Because right now, that spot has just felt very, very dead. And so you take the deadness of that spot and combine it with the hard to navigate around and it's just not been an enjoyable part of the park. But this last week with the treehouse fully gone, being able to see people easily kind of go in one direction or the other, it made me realize, Oh, this is going to be awesome. When the treehouse is back, whether it goes to Swiss family to celebrate the upcoming Disney plus series and go back to the roots or the wild aroma of Encanto because they made an Encanto treehouse toy. <laughs> they made a toy. They got to make the house that way. I'm hearing more and more that that's not it, but who knows? It could be a red herring to get us off the trail. My idea was I like the idea of it becoming pirates themed. And up there you could look out and see the pirate ships over on the rivers of America, make it more a part of the pirates attraction that it sits next to. Make it a fun queue extension or a fun interactive thing with your mobile device. Because after all, the reason why we're losing Tarzan's Treehouse is a big part to do with the mobile device. People's heads are down now. Their phones are out. And it used to be like, oh man, get off your phone. You're at Disneyland. Enjoy this moment with your kids. They're only young once. But now a person with their head down the phone isn't trying to enjoy Disneyland. They're trying to order the food ahead of time. So that when the kids get there, it's a quick pickup and more room to rip. Or their head's down because they're trying to figure out about this lightning lane thing. Uh, what else is available today? Like, uh, I guess we're doing this at 3.15. Having the phone in your face is now a part of the experience. It's encouraged. It's actually required in many scenarios. So obstacle in the middle of the path and face down on the phone, the two don't blend. So this is what we get. 
So I'd be excited to see the treehouse become a part of Pirates. And if we have to use our phones at Disneyland, let's go all in and let's use the phone in the treehouse in a way to go on a pirate's quest. Give me a pirate map. Make me find different clues. Give me the technology to hold up my phone and to capture an augmented reality where I can see pirate ships out on the rivers of America. If we're going to go in the phones, let's go hard in the phones and use it for more than capturing extra cells. Let's use it to capture extra experiences. I ended last week's podcast saying, hey, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy the new format. And I told you that I would come up with some sort of system to tell you what the magic feels like. Last week, for whatever reason, the magic felt strong. The summer crowds hadn't quite shown up yet. It wasn't so busy. People were moving. There wasn't a ton of construction going on. It felt good in there. But my most magical moment was this. I had just come in the gates of Disneyland. I was trying to do a little bit of extra filming. I want to have a little B-roll because soon the magic band's coming. And with the magic band coming, there's going to have to be construction to the front gates. New equipment's going to have to be put in. And I'm telling you, if they can get Disneyland to be nearly as efficient as the Magic Kingdom is out at Walt Disney World, we're in for a treat. I foolishly thought Magic Kingdom, so much bigger, so many more guests. It's got to be such a hassle to get into that park, right? Absolutely not. You walk through a security check where you don't have to take anything out of your bag. Well, I mean, I do because I have a small Best Buy or Apple store on my back. But most people just cruise through. And even though I do have to stop because I have a lot of equipment on me, it's easier because not everybody else in front of me is stopping. I pull over, show them all my equipment. They go, oh, are you on YouTube? I go, yeah, what's your channel? I tell them they don't pay attention. Then I go through on my happy way. And if I don't have the bag, if I just have one camera, just hold it out in front of me and I walk through, no troubles, no bubbles. I'm excited for Magic Band technology to come to the West Coast. I get it now because I've lived it now. But that's going to require a lot of major infrastructure going into the gates. So I'm trying to capture footage of what it looks like now. Always trying to capture this historic footage because the park's always in a constant state of changing and that's why I love it. So, and Bell was right there. Peasant Bell, you know, blue blouse, white shirt Bell. So she's there and people are waiting in line to get a photo with her and just out of the corner of my eye, I see a family, they get their photo with Belle. And after the photo's over with, the daughter, probably eight years old if I had to guess, I have no idea how most, how old most kids are. I would lose so many stuffed animals if I was, I mean, I am a carny, but if my carny job was to guess children's ages, I'd just be giving out stuffed animals all day. So we'll call the daughter eight. But after the photo was done, and they captured their moment when there was no camera running, no foam to film this, no TikTok to dance or shake your head to. She literally just surprised even Belle by giving her the biggest hug I'd seen a kid give a stranger in a long time. And in that moment, it reminded me that we've come a far, far away from the pandemic. This little girl is not only standing next to Belle, but she's able to give her a hug that is so emotional that even I could tell Belle was surprised. 
And I was surprised too. Because even though I don't know who this little girl is and I don't know her family, it was seeing that hug that reinforced to me why I love this place so much. Here's a child in the most memorable and formable years of her life. She was robbed of two of them. She's back inside of Disneyland with her family, sees one of her heroines from the big screen, the animated screen, somehow fleshed out in front of her in the real world. And she's so excited to see her that she just steals a hug. A hug so fast and tight and full of emotion that even Belle, who greets a hundred people an hour, was surprised and shocked. That is why I love this place. Because you never know the moment. You never know the little surprise that's going to be the reflection on that day of why it's so special and why you deal with all the bullshit. Because if you look hard enough, friend, the magic is always there. You just have to be open. You just have to be paying attention. You have to be looking for it. And when you do, you'll always find it. And you'll find me back here next Monday when we take a lap all over again and look back on the week that was. This was Monday, June 6th to Sunday, June 12th at the Disneyland Resort. My name is Bricky, and I was happy that you took the lap with me. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Disneyland has now ended its normal operating day. We hope you've enjoyed your visit to the Magic Kingdom and that the memories you've made will bring you back again soon.